be careful of the opportunities that are put out in front of you, but don't be afraid to take them. You know, sometimes companies will come to you with an opportunity that's that's in air quotes, and uh, and it's really just something nobody else wants to do. But but don't be afraid to really look at those opportunities that they have, whether it's moving or whether it's something more than you think you can handle, or you know, say it's more responsibility than you than you think you should have at that age. You know, I, I remember looking around the room at several times. You know, and I, I'm like, man, I'm the youngest guy in here, and people would call me out on it too. You know, but I would prove my worth through my work ethic and through doing the right things and getting the job done. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Alrighty, welcome back to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, episode 178. Jace, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing great, man. How you doing? Good, good. We were talking about cars earlier. You, you're kind of a car person, right? You know, I, I, I do like cars, but full disclosure, I've never paid more than $13,000 for a car, but that's probably going to change soon. I've been <laughs> shopping been shopping a little bit. Uh, going to have to upgrade the, the, the family SUV here in the near future as we prepare to you know continue to grow our family and whatnot. And so I've been looking at cars lately. So what's the dream car? I don't know that I have a, I mean, I guess I, I've always liked Teslas and at some point I'll, I'll plan to buy one. You know, I just fundamentally have such a hard time with cars because they just depreciate so much and, you know, they, they're not cheap, right? Like you got to pay for insurance, there's repairs. Obviously, Tesla has a lot less of, of, of that in terms of repairs and whatnot. But other than driving to work, I just don't really drive that many places. And so it just seems a little bit, just not the time in my life where it makes sense to splurge on a car and at some point i do want to have a sports car like a ferrari down the road but kids right now there's no there's no way i'm spending a bunch of money on a nice car for myself no way i'll go rent one for a weekend or something yeah so you were telling me about what is it uh tiktok what's that it's a tiktok account yeah daniel mack he goes around and and talks to all these people in these nice cars fancy cars sports cars you name it and uh asks them what he does what they do for a living and and you know they basically share and it's 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 blown up over tiktok the last several months and and he's got an instagram account too but it's it's kind of interesting you know it's some of them are probably everyday millionaires you know i mean professions ranging all over from executives to doctors dentists uh it business owners uh, you name it i mean there's there's all sorts of uh you know and and the business owners are are interesting too you had a guy in there the other day that sells toothpaste and deodorant on amazon and and drives a lambo hmm. so <laughs> you know it's, it's he's got a, he's got a wide array of you know much like our millionaires that come on our show in terms of professions and I think it just goes to show, one, there's a million ways to make money. There's a million industries and you get to that top 5% or 1% in any industry, you know, you're going to do financially very well for yourself. And if you so choose to, you know, afford a sports car. So how many people that he talks to do you think actually own the car versus make payments on it? Yeah, I don't know. That's that's probably an interesting question. I I don't know, to be honest. I, I He doesn't get into that. That would be an interesting question to probably dig deep dig down into i think at least the majority of them i would guess would probably just buy in cash they probably just have it sitting there but you know at the same time i bet you there's some that lease it 
you know, and put on their business or, well, maybe they can get away with it on their business. I don't know if you can get away with a sports car on your business, but I'm sure some of them try or figure out how. Yeah, obviously, Daniel Mack's business is that. So, if he has one, I'm sure he kind of gets away with it. But I bet you there's some that are financed too, just because financing on, on cars is cheap, 3 4%. And I'm sure some of them say, hey, I can go get a better return somewhere else. So, I'll just go ahead and finance it. Yeah, I would get, I bet less than 20% on it. That'd be my guess. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet too far from that. Over under, maybe thirty percent, twenty thirty. I'd be on the, on on board with that. Yeah, I don't know. Something interesting to think about, though. We haven't had a, what's the most expensive car of a millionaire we've interviewed? Just a Tesla, right? I think not just, just a, Tes- but a Tesla. Yeah, we've had the Teslas. We do have an interview coming up. A guy bought a Maserati, but he bought it used, and and it was you know inexpensive. But yeah, I think probably just around a hundred k for some Teslas. Probably the most common, obviously, and that we've had for sure in terms of that upper echelon of purchase price on cars. But I don't think we've had any more than that. At least it we've discussed on the show. Yeah. So there you go. If you drive a car over a hundred thousand, give us a note and let's get you on the show. Cause it up yeah. a little bit. Clark, are, are you going to get a dream car one day? Well, I don't know. I'd like a Tesla at some point. I'm not really a big car person, though. Dude, you I just got to go. Waste. Well, you just got to go and drive it around a couple of times, and maybe you'll change your mind. Feeling the power, feeling like, that engine. I like how quiet the Teslas are. <laughs> they nice. are, and they're fast. Have you gone and test driven them? Yeah. Yeah, they're no, fast, man. I've driven one. Yeah, they're, they're fast. Fun. They are. They're fun. So, just as a quick recap from last week, if you caught last week's episode, it was Chad. He's a financial advisor, businessman. He's also written a book, net worth of over 10 million. He told us between 10 and 20 million. He has a diversified portfolio. He's in real estate, also in market investments. He's also the elected city treasurer. So we talk about how he invests money for the city versus how he invests money for himself versus how he invests money for his clients. So three different approaches and a little bit interesting to hear how those differ. On today's show, we have Will. His net worth is $1.4 million. He's a construction manor, manager excuse me, and invests primarily in the market. He's about 40 years old. He has paid a paid-for house worth about $350,000. He has $50,000 in cash, about five hundred dollars or $475K in his 401K, and another ninety dollars in Roths. Um, and he's 98% equity. So somebody here that's pretty much 100% in the market, 98% equities, 2% bonds. So he is all in the financial market. So interesting interview with Will. If you enjoy the show, if you get something out of it, we'd appreciate you leaving a five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever platform you listen to the show on. Susan did it this week and she said, this is one of my favorite podcasts. I enjoy learning about how people handle their finances and work to build wealth. Everyone is different, but they all seem to have a great passion. Clark and Jace are truly wonderful hosts who never talk over their guests. They ask interesting questions and are never judgmental. Give them a listen. So thanks, Susan, for writing that in. If you're interested in any multifamily investment opportunities, send us an email. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com, and we'll get you set up for that. Also, if you're selling a multifamily or commercial deal, let us know. Um, we'll pay a commission on that if, if it works out. So again, our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com and also for the same if you'd like to be on so on the show. So thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Glad you're hanging with us here. And without any further delay, please help me welcome Will to the show. Will, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah. Hi, Will. Uh, thanks for having me on today. Uh, well, my background, you know, basically I, uh, I grew up in the Midwest and I grew up with uh, a strong work ethic and uh, a strong faith and uh, went to high school, went to college and um, started a W-2 job. 
started saving early on, approaching my uh, 40th birthday now. And uh, we're, we are millionaires and we're um, keeping on working on it. And we're just pushing forward for the future. So it, uh, I'm in the construction trades, I guess. And uh, we try to spend a lot less than we earn and uh, live faithfully and uh, just, you know, live by a set of values and, uh, and uh, try not to waste too much money. Oh, that's awesome, man. Congrats on, on your success. So millionaire, where's your net worth rolling today? Uh, right now we're sitting at, uh, as of August 1st, the last time I checked it, we were uh, just a shade over $1 million. So that's, uh, that's basically in liquid, in liquid net worth. We, we don't include our house in that, but our house is uh, probably about another 300, 350, somewhere on top of that. And uh, we've recently uh, paid that off. So we're, uh, so we, we probably should include that, but, uh, but really we can't spend it. So we don't include that in there, but so we're sitting at, you know, liquid net worth about a million dollars. Uh, that's awesome. So let's break that down. Million dollars liquid. How much is invested in market, real estate, business? So we are um, we're running about uh, fifty thousand in cash. Uh, we've got uh, four hundred and seventy five in a four hundred one k, of which we're heavy into equities. So we're about ninety eight percent equities in that, and two percent bonds. We've got twenty seven thousand in a HSA. Uh, Four thousand of that is cash, and then the rest is in uh, basically index funds. Uh, the four, you know, four thousand cash is just for you know the medical stuff that comes up and whatnot. And uh, we've got three hundred and forty thousand in an after tax uh, brokerage, uh, and then we have about forty five thousand in a Roth IRA for myself. And then um, my wife's was sitting at forty seven thousand dollars in her uh, Roth IRA. And then, um, and then we're about seventy thousand in a uh, work pension plan. Interesting. So, and everything's primarily invested in equities. You said. Yeah. Last I checked, we were at ninety eight percent equities. So the four hundred one k was. Um, we're in a like a a lot of that is in this uh, life path twenty fifty plan. So I think probably seventy five percent of that was in there. I thought about changing that because. Uh, when I didn't, when I invested and I didn't really know any better, I just picked one of those those life plans, you know, the the twenty fifty one or whatever, which I could probably stand to be a little bit more risky in that. But um, about seventy five percent of that is in that, um, which is mostly equities. But um, a couple of years ago, I switched that to uh, to switch to investing in index funds. So uh, you know, annually my four hundred one k will go into a into basically low cost index fund, and that's through Fidelity. But about seventy five percent is it is in that that life path twenty fifty. I think it's FSKAX and FXAIX. So you know, low cost index funds, but through Fidelity. And then uh, the after tax brokerage that we have is uh, is all VT VTIAX and VTSAX. Uh, you know, with Vanguard. I wanted to keep them separate. You know, the four hundred one k is through my work, and then the after tax brokerage was just something I did on my own um, above and beyond the work stuff, but um, it's broken out, I guess. Um, it's all stocks. It's 65% national and 35% international. So it, um, that's the asset allocation behind that. Interesting. So I want to ask, you've got the after-tax accounts that it's pretty sizable, but your Roth accounts are, are lower. Typically with most of our millionaires, they choose to do a Roth before the after-tax. Is there a reason why you chose to, to grow that after-tax account versus maybe putting some into your Roth? Or is that really what you've been doing is max out the Roth and just add extra and, and put it in the after-tax? No, we, yeah, we've been, uh, we've been maxing out the Roth uh, IRAs, but we, I didn't find those until 2015, I believe. I started actually in 2013, but then there was two years in there where we couldn't, uh, where we couldn't do it. So, we maxed it. We've been maxing them out basically though every year, uh, with the exception of those two years. So 
I didn't find them until until then, and um, and then now that they've been there, we've been trying to max those out every year. So, and that's both for my myself and my uh, wife. And I don't know where it was. A couple when we started, it was maybe ten thousand or. 11,000. I think it's now up to 6,000 per each of us uh, each year. So yeah, it's just when we found them, we started doing it and uh, we've been doing that ever since. But but we've had other money, I guess, that we had above and beyond that or, or on the side from that or however you want to look at it that we did in the after-tax brokerage. So that's the, that's the way we went with uh, with that. So every year that we've done the IRAs, we have maxed them out. Gotcha. So that's one of our goals every year is to try to max both um, the spousal one and myself. Yeah, those. totally. So, Will, backing up here, has this always been the plan when you started graduated college to invest in retirement accounts and put money away and live on less than you make? Yeah, no, um, I wish it was, you know, but uh, my 20s were probably more of a uh, haphazard approach. Uh, you know, I didn't know anything coming out of college. Uh, I started, though, I, I did start investing in a 401k at 25, and it's you know, essentially when I got out of college and got a uh, a big boy job, as they would say. But, you know, I remember my old, my dad saying, uh, you know, when you get a 401k, if you can put 50% of it, of your paycheck into that, it's a good way to do that. And, uh, you know, he kind of uh, drilled into me the power of compounding and brought up the fact that you can save more from 25 to 35 than you can if you start at 35 and save the rest of your life. So, uh, you know, I started that first job and they, they put a paper in my hand and said, fill this out. And, and it was a hand filled out form and said, how much do you want to invest in your 401k? And I didn't have any clue what I was doing. So I, I just put 15% on there thinking back to what he said. So, you know, I just did that and then I put on autopilot and then I was basically in spend mode because I was making money and uh, having fun and, and, you know, all that stuff. And uh, so I went through basically my entire twenties with, you know, very little uh, knowledge of anything financial other than I did that. And then I kind of forgot about it. I remember him sending the the paperwork to me. I don't even know if I opened it. I just threw it in a corner and and just said I'll figure that out someday. And uh, and so I probably I did that probably till thirty thirty one or something like that. And then I got married at that time. And then we started having kids. And uh, life kind of hits you like a baseball bat to the chest a little bit. And uh, if you're holding a little one in your hands and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I better figure something out for our future and and uh, start saving and stuff. And uh, uh, so I, I just started gaining my knowledge on the subject and reading and reading and reading. And um, and I, I started learning more about it. And, uh, you know, at the same time, or maybe a couple of years before that, we had, I had jumped on board with a, uh, a you know, a finance guy and uh, I gave him some, cause I was making pretty good money and uh, I gave him some of the money to invest and uh I really didn't know. So I just said, oh, I got cash in the account and I better do something with it. I don't want to run out and buy a, a brand new Mustang convertible, you know? So I gave him some money to invest and then, um, and then it really just kind of started to snowball after that. I, uh, I, I started learning more and reading more and then, uh, you know, started making more too. So then I wanted to know what to do with that. So it just all kind of snowballed from there. And I, every year I try to learn a little bit more about the topic and, and do better for ourselves, you know? So, but yeah, no, my twenties were, were, they were not a saving, uh, it was not a saving decade. That was more of a, uh, an entertainment, a self entertainment decade, I guess you could say. <laughs> and, and what did it look like? Was it paycheck to paycheck? No, I, I wasn't paycheck to, uh, paycheck to paycheck at all. Um, you know, I was working on the road in construction and engineering and construction and, uh, so I had a, a, you know, a professional job, semi-professional, you could say, I guess, at the time. And uh, I was making good money, but I was aggressive and I was willing to move and I was willing to learn. And I was willing to take on all projects that were probably above my uh, above my ability at the time. But um, the company I was working with was was growing. 
and they were looking for people to uh, to take on responsibility. And I, I put my hand up, and and uh, so I got a ton of responsibility, and with it, I got a lot more pay too. And so I was making more than a lot more than I was spending, even though I was living a kind of a lavish lifestyle. But it was still wasn't lavish by lavish people's means, I guess you could say. I mean, I was spending a lot of money, but I was also saving a lot of money. Um, but I was also working, you know, six days a week, sixty to seventy hours. So it, I didn't have a ton of time to spend it. But when I did, I went out and had a good time. Yeah, and and you were working salary, I assume. It was salary, yeah, and it, the salary was based on on, on a fifty-hour week. That was kind of an average for uh, the guys that were out on the projects, and uh, because it was uh, pretty much a, a guarantee that you're going to do at least uh, fifty hours a week, if not more. So yeah, that was a well. Eventually, I left the company because that was one of the reasons I didn't like uh, I didn't like that. As I grew older and got a family, it wasn't wasn't copacetic with that anymore, and. Uh, and I started realizing my value probably a little bit more too and realizing I didn't want to work Saturday and be rushing out the door at 2.30, feeling like I could stay for another five hours on Saturday afternoon, you know? So, but yeah, anyways, it, but it was a, it was a, it was a great experience and I got a lot of uh, a street credit as you could, as you would say. And, uh, you know, I was able to find a, a different, more professional job that uh, was going back to a, a more of a standard work week and not as much uh, travel and, and things like that. So, and still making, you know, pretty good money while I did it. Yeah. So it seems that you're you're relatively young, right? Net worth of 1.4-ish, right? If you count the house, 1.3, 1.4. You obviously managed your career pretty well. Do you regret working that many hours initially? Do you wish you would have cut it back sooner? Or are you happy you sacrificed earlier? No, I'm, I'm, I don't regret anything. You know, at the time, it was kind of like I had a, I had some hobbies and things like that. But, you know, work was basically my hobby. And it was kind of my my central focus in life. I, looking back, I'm a, it was a little unfortunate. I took it that I, I went that wholehearted into it. But I wouldn't say I have any regrets because I still had a lot of fun. You know, when you don't have kids, you know, time management is a completely separate and different thing, you know. And then after kids, time management's a totally separate, a different animal, I guess you could say. But, you know, I didn't have kids at the time. And um, and we we're working in rural areas that uh, you'd have to drive an hour to get anywhere near like something that would be, you know, entertaining or fun besides the local small town bars and stuff like that. So I don't have any regrets because I learned a lot. I got to work with a lot of good people and I got to move up through the company and do some cool, do some cool stuff. And uh, so I don't have any regrets from that standpoint. And, uh, and I, and I wasn't neglecting a family at the time. I guess that's my most important takeaway from that. And the fact I don't have regrets is I wasn't neglecting anybody, you know, at the time. So it, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to work another through another weekend and miss my kids, you know, birthday or something like that. It was it was either I worked or, you know, I sat at the apartment and kind of uh, cruised through Facebook or done something stupid, you know. So, no, I don't I don't have any regrets about doing that. It was a it was just a natural decision for me because I was I was all in and um, it, it had my whole mind, body, and spirit at the time, I guess you could say. So I, I was I don't have any regrets about doing that. What's been just along that same line career wise, what's led to your success? You mentioned a little bit it was maybe willing to take opportunities early, right? Maybe move around if there if something became available or to work harder. I mean, what led to your success in your career? What advice would you share on that realm? Well I would say um be careful of the opportunities that are put out in front of you, but don't be afraid to take them. You know, sometimes companies will come to you with an opportunity that's that's in air quotes, and uh, and it's really just something nobody else wants to do. But but don't be afraid to really look at those opportunities that they have, whether it's moving or whether it's something more than you think you can handle, or 
you know, say it's more responsibility than you than you think you should have at that age. You know, I, I remember looking around the room at several times, you know, and I, I'm like, man, I'm the youngest guy in here. And people would call me out on it, too, you know, but I would I would prove my worth through my work ethic and through doing the right things and getting the job done, you know, at the end of the day. So, you know, get it done, get it done on time and get it done successfully and walk away with a with a happy client, I guess you could say. So I, I would say if anybody's in that position, don't be afraid to go somewhere and do something and uh, see the positive in it. Know the negatives, but see the positives and uh, and go for it and put your full self into it. And, and uh, unless you're Unless you're neglecting somebody else to do that, I mean, go for it. I mean, if that's what you have to do, then then go do it. You know. Um, so now, when when they ask me to do things and it's this quote unquote oppor- opportunity, I'm a lot more hesitant and uh, I'm not afraid to say no. Now I always used to say, "Yep, sure, I'll go do that." And uh, now I, I I sit back and go, "Well, you know, that sounds like a great thing, and and uh, I'd love to help you out, but." You know, it just doesn't sound like it's for me. And then let them think about it for a while. And if they're real serious about it, they'll come back and ask again. But uh, it really depends on where you're at in life and what you can do and what you can't do. But uh, um, if you've got the ability to do it and, and you can put something in your back pocket, you know, go for it. Yeah. And as you've worked this career and these hours, did you ever set, have a side gig or a side hustle that made you extra money or just the job? Yeah, well, I mean, we had a, uh, I had a rental house um, for probably about five years or so. I bought a house, a single family in 2011, and I lived in it for probably two years. And then, uh, and then it sat vacant for probably about a year. And then I ended up renting it out and I just sold it in 2018. And that was part of the catalyst to pay off our house, our house, our primary home. Now we had, uh, it was in a different state and everything. And I was managing it out of state. And, uh, you know, you get, you get a lot of comfort in the ability to drive by something that you own and uh, just see how they're doing, you know, well, are they taking care of the landscaping or are they mowing a yard or are they having wild parties or something like that? Or has it become a meth house or something? So we had that for a while. I guess you could call that a side, a side hustle to some respect. You know, it was a pretty decent money maker. But in the, at the end of the day, I wanted to, uh, to be done with out of state things and just bring my life more into a 30 mile radius of myself. And, um, so we sold that and put the money equity that we had in that into our current house. And then, you know, I've always been, I always do little things here and there to make extra cash on the side, but nothing serious, nothing, nothing big, no businesses, no, no anything like that. But, you know, I, if an opportunity comes, comes knocking to make a little cash, I, I usually go at it and uh, I don't turn that stuff down as long as I'm not neglecting my, my family or kids now. So let, let's talk about the house a little bit. How come you don't count it in your net worth? And it probably goes back to the whole Robert Kiyosaki thing, right? Is it costing you money rather than making you money? Is that right? Well, I mean, uh, I kind of look at it as uh, as just money that you can pull out in a, in a pinch and, and spend if need be. And uh, you, you can't really go without a home. And so, and we can't just pull that out and spend it unless we want to be homeless. So I, I don't include it in the into that. I know it's, you know, most houses are appreciating if you, if you look at the historical averages on it and things like that. But, uh, we bought, I mean, we bought it probably at the, at the top of the market and it's in a real nice area with good schools and, and stuff. So ours won't appreciate hardly at all, if anything, but we're not throwing rent money down the drain either. So I guess long story short, I, I just don't count it in there because it's not money that you can spend and, and uh, it's not food that you can eat. You know, so, I, you know, if I were to pull all the money I had out of the markets, I could hold it in greenbacks in my hand, but I can't do that with my home unless I were to sell that. And uh, 
I don't know, just a personal decision, I guess. Uh, it is a kind of a, it's a, like a side tab on our net worth calculations, knowing that it's it's there and it's paid off. And uh, if we were to change our, our, our life's philosophies, I guess, and go live, you know, internationally for a while or live out of an RV and travel the, the country or something for a while, we'd sell it and, and I'd probably throw that money to cash or, you know, some short term thing. But we're always going to have a home, in my opinion, and we're right. always going to need to live in a in a home and I'd rather live in a paid off home as opposed to renting or living in a in a home with with a loan. No, no it makes sense. Just curious because people have different takes. Just curious to hear. And, and then paying off the home, was it just having that sense of security that it's paid off? Uh, yeah, I think for the most part, that's a time tested debate right there, right? And uh, and I and I clearly went towards the uh, the debt averse side, and uh, I guess there was just something about you know being debt free that I really found the value in. You know, I don't know. Looking back, you know, I, I we had a little probably a little over a hundred thousand in equity in another home, and and then we sold. And I sat there looking at it, and I go, man, do I do I invest this or do I do I shovel this all in the market or do I pay off the house and uh, and I and I went I went towards the method of uh, paying down our debt with it, and uh, you know, eighteen to now, probably the market would have been it probably would have been worth one hundred and twenty thousand bucks even after this COVID deal. So, and then you know, later on that year, or early twenty nineteen, I pulled another eighty out of the market out of our after tax brokerage and put down another eighty on the house, and I got it down to. I don't know, less than 50 at the time or something. And then we recently just paid it off here in the last couple of months. So, and that oh, we did the rest of it just, yeah, we did the rest of it just through cash that we were saving from our paychecks and, and, uh, or from my paycheck. And yeah, we're, I mean, we're just kind of, a, we're really, uh, against debt at this point in time in our life. And, uh, I really don't want to go back into debt anymore. I mean, it, uh, I don't want to be a slave to that system anymore. Well, congrats on paying off the house. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. That's, that does feel good. I tell you what. Yeah. Yeah, you sleeping different? <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I slept pretty good before that. I, I guess that has its that has its ups and downs too. But uh, we've yeah. got kids, so we don't sleep very good, anyways. But uh, we're not we're not staying asleep for that or staying awake for that reason. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it really didn't change anything. I mean, uh, it didn't. I guess we were we're debt averse, and we still are. But uh, it, it didn't make me change emotionally whatsoever. I mean, it it was like, oh, okay. Felt like paying off a car or something. It wasn't that big a deal, really. So you, you say you're debt averse. Did yeah? Did you ever have any other debt? Student loans, car payments, anything else? Yeah, I've had all kinds. I mean, going back, shoot, I, I think in high school I took out a, a loan to buy a snowmobile, you know, and uh, and then graduated with I think about thirty thousand in debt for student loans. And then, uh, you know, it wasn't probably six months after I got a job, I went out and doubled my debt by buying a brand new vehicle. But I've always kind of been one to just pay off my debts. I guess uh, I paid all those off early. You know, within three years of graduating school, I paid off all my school loans and I paid off that uh, new vehicle. And then uh, that was my only, I didn't have any debt for probably three or four years and I was working on the road. So my, my living expenses were next to nothing. In fact, they paid for they paid for housing, you know, basically through that. So I say that's how I was able to save quite a bit. And uh, yeah, how much were you saving a year doing that? I didn't keep track back then, but I know after you know probably after five years of working, I probably had about I probably had a hundred thousand in the bank, probably another sixty or seventy in my four hundred one k. But uh, wow. I didn't do I didn't have any clue. You know, I just remember that I went I got to about a hundred. I was like, I don't think that the government backs up a bank account that has more than $100,000 in it. So I better do something with it. And that was really what spurred me on to just start investing um, above and beyond my 401k because I didn't think that, uh, I think they've raised it now to 
a quarter million or two hundred fifty thousand dollars. But uh, you know, after you get so much into a a regular, sa- it was just a regular savings account too. I mean, it wasn't making me nothing. And uh, so anyway, yeah, that uh, was pre- yeah five years in. That's probably about what it was. But I didn't I didn't keep real good records uh, back then and stuff. No, no, that's great. I'm just curious. So, I mean, I have a friend who who works at a big company, professional services company, and lives in a like got put on a long term project. Right, kind of sounds like similar to what you're doing. And they pay for his housing. He gets a food stipend. So he gets a housing stipend every month, a food stipend every month, and like a, a trip home, a flight home or a flight credit rather back to, you know, wherever he wants to go. So he saves a ton of money. I mean, he virtually has no expenses. If you think about it, your housing paid for, your food paid for, your travel paid for, not a whole lot of other expenses month to month. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's, that's essentially what I did or what I did for a long time. Yeah. There was, there's a living, there's a living per diem and then a, a meals and incidentals per diem. And, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and at the time I didn't even have a home. Uh, for some of those years, I didn't even own a home, so they, you know, they were paying for a lot. So that's the net worth could be a heck of a lot higher if I hadn't blown so much in my at that time. But uh, but you know, is what it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can. It's a it's a good way to go about it if you're willing to uh, if you're willing to do the work and 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 travel, which it's it's hard for most. You know, the the guys I worked with were like seasoned, I guess you could say, and, and a lot of them had family issues because of that you know so I, I never really did see that as a long-term sustainable plan to keep doing to keep doing that not if i wanted to be a more of a family man so to speak and, which i wanted eventually but not at that time i guess so i just took advantage of it when i could so how did this all start will going back you said you didn't really get it till you're 30 which is normal probably actually pretty quick right relative to others but is there a moment? I mean, was it just that you had that hundred grand saved up and you're like, hey, what do I do with it now? Or how did it how did this start? Was there something specific that triggered it? Uh, you know, I was living in uh, Minneapolis and uh, we got the Star Tribune up there, which is the local paper or whatever. And uh, and I was reading the paper and I was holding my kid in one hand who was, you know, five months old, our firstborn. And uh, th- they had this great finance section, I think, on the weekends that came out and like, you know, you open up a paper and they had a graph in there that went, you know, from left to right. And it showed it showed basically Vanguard low cost index funds, the average return on them going back historically for like 30 years. And they were just pushing this, you know, and I, I just flipped open that page and I'm, I'm holding my kid and I'm reading that. And I'm going, you know, I got some money. I got to be thinking about this kid's future and our, you know, our future and everything. And uh, so I read that article and um, and that kind of just snowballed. I got more interested in it. And um, I read it. Read Kiplinger, the Kiplinger magazine app, like every article that was in there. Another one of these things too, where I was up in the middle of the night because the kid was crying or something. So I'm just kind of flipping through my phone and reading stuff. And I guess that's what you do. I guess I <laughs> read about money or finances in the middle of the night. But uh, it just it just spurred me on. Something clicked in my head, and I just went, "Okay, I better do something about this." And you know, by that time, I had already invested some of that hundred thousand and I had with a um, the finance guy that I that I got on board with. But he was one of these, you know, active um, active fund investors, you know, and he was taking you know one and a half percent or whatever out of that. So you know, as I was reading more about that, I started diving more into it, and I was also ready to invest more money. And I thought, well, I'm like, I can do this on my own. So I, I, that's what I started doing. So I still had that money with him, but then I started investing um, some of the other, some of the other money um, on my own. And I just, I just went in online and figured it out and, you know, hooked up my bank account and hit the enter button. The next thing you know, you know, probably six months went by and I had some more money to invest. So then I put it, started 
keeping putting it in there. And, uh, you know, I, I never even really did look at returns or anything like that. I mean, it was just um, at that time, too, I was just I was busy and, I, you know, it's I was still needing to learn more, I guess, about everything. And I still am learning a lot more. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly learning along the way. But, um, you know, it just kind of snowballed through, you know, each year I would do something a little bit different or a little bit more or or whatever. And um, I'm not done with that. I'm still continually learning stuff. So it, uh, I hope that answered your question. Yeah, totally. So, well, it's pretty remarkable. You got to admit that if you want to put it this way, you maybe maybe took out almost every debt in the book to some degree. I mean, started with that snowmobile in high school. That's remarkable. I didn't even know that somebody would give a loan to a high school guy for a for a snowmobile, right? And then the home and very you know school loans and everything else. And now you're you're very debt adverse, risk adverse in terms of of taking on debt and gotten yourself totally debt-free, well on your way to multi-millionaire. Where do you go from here? Well, that's a good question. Um, right now, we're, we're just slugging on through, you know, and I don't, I don't mean that negatively. We have goals to probably not, well, I have a goal not to be a W-2 employee forever, although it ain't bad. And it's kind of the, the bread and butter. So we're going to just keep working and we're going to keep raising our kids and we're going to keep saving. And, um, you know, when we get two, two and a half, million, maybe somewhere in there, maybe three, I'll probably look at it and go, yeah, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do something part-time or maybe I'll cut back and, and spend more time with the kids, you know, full-time or something or, or part-time work, part, part-time part at home or something. But uh, yeah, I don't think we have a grand plan. I mean, we've, we kind of sit down and make a five-year plan and stuff, the wife and I, but, but it's so fluid. It, you know, it's, it, it all changes so quick. It seems with us. I mean, we just had our fourth kid here uh, five months ago. And, um, and, you know, every time, every year that goes by, something changes and, and, and throws a monkey in the wrench, so to speak. So it, uh, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing and uh, keep our head down and uh, keep saving and, uh, and aspire to be, you know, financially independent at some point in time and then in the future. Is, is there a net worth goal or, I mean, how do you define that financially independent in your eyes? Well, you know, if uh, financially independent to me means that uh, that basically I've got my net worth up to a point where I can get about, you know, a 2% safe withdrawal rate. And so that we basically have double what we spend on an annual basis saved up. And that way it would take up for 50%, you know, cost fluctuations in the market. We're spending probably about 55, 60,000 bucks a year right now, somewhere in that category. I'm anticipating that to rise here in the next couple of years. We've got a lot of decisions to make, you know, about uh, schooling and, and um, all for the kids and stuff, of course. So I really probably won't pull off the, off the throttle on work until we hit, you know, somewhere two and a half, maybe three, three million, somewhere in there. And then and then even so, I don't ever really want to stop working. I I would like to just keep doing something that's, you know, more on my terms, maybe, or more a little less corporate, maybe, or uh, I don't know how to, I don't know what my perfect vision is yet. I guess I'm still waiting for that to come to me. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Do your friends or, or family know of your wealth or, or your journey at all thus far? You know, they, they don't, you know, I don't know. You just do little things around them and they, and you don't even realize it, but uh, they look at you and go, Oh, you, what do you got money to burn or something? I'm like, Oh boy, I didn't even think about it. You know, <laughs> well, we don't, we don't talk about it openly with, with family or friends. And uh, I'm sure they got some idea. I mean, we live in a nice place and we drive nice vehicles and, you know, we don't, we don't bat an eye to go do something fun or help somebody out or whatever if they need it. And so it's, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a deep, dark, buried secret or anything, but it's, it's not something we talk about at the kitchen table. 
Yeah, sure. So looking back at your life here, well, are there a couple things that you can point to that that you can say, hey, that's what made me a millionaire? Was it working hard? Was it saving up this money initially? Was it taking these opportunities for work? Was it was it the focus on the career? Are there a couple things you can point to? Well, you know, the saving is huge. You know, if you don't save, you can make 30,000 bucks a year or 300,000 bucks a year. If you spend every penny, it doesn't matter. You know, what you make, it's what you save or it's that gap in between your growth, in between your income and what you spend. You know, so saving has been a huge one. And uh, really, when we started tracking our, we started tracking everything, you know, it, uh, they drive me nuts sometimes at work because they always say, oh, you can't manage what you don't track. And, but when I started doing that on my personal, on the personal side of things, it, uh, it really makes you think differently about it. And then it really starts to change your behavior, uh, whether you kind of, whether you agree to that or not, it, you start to change your behavior when you look at it on paper. And so tr- saving has been huge. Tracking tracking things, everything from our spend to our net worth has been two of the bigger ones. But when we got serious about it, we made a plan to get out of debt and we started following that. And that was a, that was a big milestone in our, in our life. And the decision to go that route, you know, gave us kind of gave us a vision, I guess you could say. So it was like something to work for. Maybe we dangled our own carrot in front of our nose kind of thing or something there. But, uh, but it was, that was a good, uh, a good milestone too, that just we thought through things and we were intentional about it. And we, we sat down together and made goals every year. And then we, we tracked against those and we sat down every quarter and talked about how we're doing, working towards them. And it wasn't just write it down on New Year's Day and come back again on Christmas Eve and, and right. what we've done and things like that. So it's kind of like a constant work in, in progress. So yeah. and really, you know, I spent a lot of money, but I never like went out and bought like the most luxurious things. You know, I mean, it was always this, it was always kind of utilitarian money I was spending, you know, and it was for things that were semi smart, I guess, along the way. So I didn't go blow my, you know, all of my accounts on things. You know, and I remember one time I thought to myself, gosh, I've got like 75,000 bucks in this new Mustang convertible is like 70,000 bucks. I'm like, man, I could have that thing sitting in my garage. Yeah, I didn't do it, but, uh, you know, if you have those thoughts in your head, don't go, don't go, don't, don't go after them. You know, go rent the thing for a day or two or something. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and we, you know, we just took advantage of work opportunities and I kept my housing, uh, next to nothing for a lot of, a lot of years, you know, and that, uh, you know, that's one of the big three was, was housing. So keeping that number down, it just allows you to save a ton. So, you know, we're living in a modest house now, I would say really, uh, and we're outgrowing it. So something's going to have to change here probably in the next couple of years. So, um, we're already saving towards a, you know, a little bit, something a little bit bigger. And we're not one of these small house people, you know, that wants to live in like a thousand square feet. And we've got four kids and, you know, we all need our room and space and, stuff like that. But uh, you can't overbuy on houses. That's for sure. And a lot of people do. And, uh, you know, they, I went to get a loan for the a house and they threw a number at me. I went, and I was like, wow, you know, this would like buy the nicest home in my entire small town that I grew up in. It's like, <laughs> you know, I, I spent probably half of what they were willing to loan to me. Yeah. So, you know, where that money is going, right? I mean, that, the bank is, is the bank's going to laugh all the way to the bank, you know, on that, because you're giving them all your money when you, when you over purchase on stuff like that. I guess one of the other things I could say is work is work and, and you are a number there, you know, whether you are doing a stellar job or, or whatever, but hedge against that, you know, and uh, always be prepared for layoff and just know that someone, some bean counter somewhere is looking at you 
as a true employee number. They don't look at your face. They don't look at your name. You know, when your number's up, your number's up. And every, you know, four or five years or whatever, companies have these layoffs and they call the herd and they get rid of people. And it, sometimes it's the ones that are slow and other times it's the ones that get paid too much. So never think that your job is safe. So always keep working and keep that network up and, you know, always be prepared to get another job sometime. And I guess with that, keep a good emergency savings uh, on hand because you don't know if you're going to be out of a job for six months. I'm sure there's a lot of people right now that are probably wishing they had probably had more than six months, you know, but, uh, yeah. No, no, it's a, it's a good answer. It's a good answer. And I appreciate you sharing. And it's something we talked about with Chris Hogan of people thinking that you're safe in your job, especially if you work for a big corporate company, but then something happens. It could be COVID. It could be something else. Right. And and then you're not so safe. So I think it's, it's good advice. So we'll just want to wrap up here with uh, one or two rapid fire questions here. What's been the most expensive car you've ever purchased? Just how much? Uh, I bought a near $50,000 uh, truck. Okay. How old were you when you became a millionaire? I'm going to call it 38. Okay. As much as you're comfortable sharing, what's been your range of, of annual household income? I uh, started after college at 35000 a year, and, uh, and right now I'm running about one thirty. For you, man. Good for you. Uh, any favorite books? Anything you recommend? I've got a I've got a quiz for you guys. Yeah, do it. Um, there's a there's a book out there. I'll give you two hints. It's got 2,500 verses related to money in it, and it's the number one selling book of all time. Bible. The Bible. There you go. Yep. It, uh, but, I mean, it's might sound cliche or whatever, but uh, you know, 2,500 verses in there. Uh, more so about one any one topic than any other topic in there. So it's all related to money. So it uh, there's a there's tried and true, very much tried and true statements in there, and it um, it's worth it's worth maybe not reading the whole thing because that's very difficult to do. And and uh, but but diving into some of those verses and just you know thinking about those and and putting them to heart and and uh, taking them and putting them into action in your life, you know, it can be very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Well, Will, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, net worth of over 1.4, right? 1.3, 1.4. If you count the house, about a million dollars liquid. So phenomenal story. Congrats on your success. And, and thanks for spending some time with us. Well, it's been my pleasure, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Thanks, Will. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.